Daniel, do you want to be the first to touch on one of our fun banter questions? What does a day in the life of Derek Gould look like? Recording podcasts with uh, <laughs> with other uh, uh, that's a great question. Um, coffee starts with coffee. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. Uh, I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, and this week, a special crossover episode with my colleagues at the best podcast in the minors. All season long, exclusively at stlpinchhits.com, Daniel Guerrero and Carter Chapley have done a weekly podcast with guests from throughout the Cardinals minor league system. They've had player interviews on, they've had coaches interviews. They've done a great job of kind of broadening what it means to be the best podcast, and it's not just me droning on and on. As the minor league baseball season comes to a close, however, they've went looking for a pinch hitter for STL Pinch Hits and invited me on. Their mistake is still a great chance for me to introduce the BPIB audience to this cousin podcast and its weekly deep dive into conversations about the Cardinals minor league system and player development. So, here's Carter and Daniel. Welcome back to another episode of the best podcast in the minors. I'm your host slash producer, Carter, and I'm here with minor league dude slash host, Daniel Guerrero, his self-given title, of course. Daniel, how are you? No, doing good, Carter, and I'm um, excited for this episode that we have uh, planned out. I think the person we have on, I know we've had some other interviews with uh, players and coaches from the Cardinals minor league system uh, during the season. I think uh, our guest today is somebody who listeners uh, will be very familiar with. I hope they're familiar with. Um, and uh, should I introduce him now, or do you, or should we build up a little bit more uh, suspense? I don't think there's any more suspense to build up. He's he's in the Zoom. You can introduce him right now. Well, joining us today uh, in a bit of a, a crossover of sorts from the best podcast in baseball and the. Uh, our colleague at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Uh, today we have Cardinals lead beat writer, Derek Gould, uh, joining us. Derek, how's it going? It's good, guys. Thank you for uh, letting me uh, come aboard here. Uh, you know, I've got the chance to watch from afar as you guys have really set the pace for episodes this year with, what, more than 30? I'm lagging behind. I'm lagging behind. You guys are you guys are the lead there at the, uh, at the, at the site, so I, I clearly have some catching up to do. So thanks. I'm, I'm excited that... Uh, uh, to, to be here. I'm eager for, uh, for what Carter has promised to be, um, a grilling of sorts with many questions. So it's, it's time to hold the, the old guy accountable. Well, I would argue that, uh, a, if there was a podcast that's focused on baseball, that had a 10 year run, that kind of sets a precedent for, <laughs> for, what, for what other post-dispatch baseball podcasts need to do. Yeah, there you go. There you go. You guys got a decade in you. Here we go. <laughs> We'll see how that ends up. So we, Daniel and I have formatted this grilling, as you put, which I don't know if I'd put it like that, as uh, for every two baseball questions we have for you, we have a fun one. So I want I want to get to the not only the – I think that's how Tom Cruise went about it in A Few Good Men. I think that's, that- how, he, that, that's how he went about the cross-examination. He was like, hey, look, Jack, for every two hard ones, I got a fun one. Did you call the code red, Derek? Did you set the 40-man? Answer the question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I think that's a good way to put it because as much as we want to know about the Cardinals minor leagues and your perspective on the Cardinals minor leagues, we want to get to know you a little bit better because you're the one always doing the interviewing. No one's ever, you're never getting interviewed. We don't know about a lot, or I guess Daniel and I might know a little bit, but the community at large, I guess, doesn't know as much. So 
Daniel, do you want to take a look at our, our sheet here and kind of fire off the first one that catches your eye? Um, of the fun ones or the actual ones? I think we start with the actual one. <laughs> let's, let's let's start with some baseball to get things started. Well, I mean, yeah, we'll get into uh, – obviously, this is a busy time. I know it's the off season, but uh, as of this recording, uh, the non-tender deadline is uh, uh, tonight for Major League Baseball. That's uh, Fred, 7, 7, 7 o'clock, yeah, 7 p.m. St. Louis time. Nice of um, them to set it up on a Friday. Kind of weird. Friday news dump, I guess. <laughs> uh, but but I mean obviously we've already seen some movement with the Cardinals 40 man roster. Uh, a couple of minor leaguers have been added over the last uh, week or so. I mean one of them being Moises Gomez and the most recent one um, that Derek had the news on is Connor Thomas. Uh, is there any insight you can kind of give to? I know we've talked about Connor Thomas and the changes he's made uh, with showing up in the fall league uh, with that new cutter and. Mm-hmm just really dominating hitters out there. I mean, but is there any sense that you can give of, you know, what kind of his projection looks like being on the 40 man? I mean, that was something um, it's obviously big for him. It protects him from the rule five draft. Um, it's another lefty arm that the Cardinals add to that roster. Right. I mean, what I mean, kind of what do you see there? Yeah. I think that you bring up a real interesting thing. If he were a right-handed pitcher, would he have been added? Um, how would they have looked at that? But he's not. And they're in, perpetual search for better lefty depth they just have they've made a lot of moves recently to you know i'm recent when i say recently like four or five years where if there's a tie they lean to the left they they go after the left-handed bat or left-handed arm um what connor did you know in the arizona fall league i mean he struck out more uh batters than he allowed base runners and he did so with a pitch they think will play and his ability to his ability and his familiarity to start puts him in a spot where you could uh, you could see like a lot of flexibility in his role, right? Like he can come in, he can provide innings, which is a value when you when you have a roster that's limited to thirteen pitchers. Um, you know, you're not going to have the 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 elasticity of the roster in 2023 that teams started with in 2022 coming out of the lockout. Um, so that has value that, you know, if he if he has a pitch that frustrates right handed pitchers, that's really valuable with the three batter minimum. So he did a lot of things to I guess the phrase is check all the boxes. He did a lot of things to show that, like, OK, he can he can succeed in a variety of roles and also handle the rules that are going to be thrown at him Um you know, just really strong. And they, they they knew that if they left him exposed, there's a good chance not only that he'd be taken in the Rule 5 draft, they've seen this happen before, but that he would stick. Like that that, that, that would be somebody because of the many things he could do. He would stick in the majors and they would lose lose him. You know, they, they, they have had that happen before. Um, and when they have a guy who can provide innings, provide – a look against lefties or handle right-handers, which now he can do better with that cutter, just completely change things for him. Because you think about how hard he was hit by the right-handers. Um, you know, they, they they try to keep keep him because of the depth and because they know that they'd lose him and not see him again. So, is there, I mean, he's, in, he's obviously going to play a role in some way in spring training. Is this a situation where you could see him come in and compete for a major league roster spot, obviously? Yes. But then... Yeah potentially lose a 40 man should the math work no and, no like, he, i mean could happen i mean you can it, by putting him on the 40 man it, it begins the process of him being optioned out right so like mm-hmm. he um 
if he doesn't make the team, the 26-man roster on opening day, he'll be optioned to the minors. And he, uh, he has three years of those options. That's what putting him on the 40-man protects him in that regard. Could they – I mean, they could make moves here in the next coming weeks where they need to clear up some 40-man spots. Um, and then instead of then, – and then the risk gets higher because now you're talking about somebody being claimed off waivers um, and then put on a 40-man as opposed to claimed off the Rule 5 and having to stay on the 26-man roster. So it's they, they would risk you know, losing him in a way that would allow another team to take advantage of the options where the Rule 5 has far more restrictions. Um, no, you know, one of the things is it, it gets tricky, um, and I get it, in, in spring training, one of the valves that teams have is the 60-day injured list. So that's not available to them now. It's a true 40-man roster. But you get to spring training, injuries happen. There might be a long-term injury. There might be one that goes 45 days, whatever. Um, you can make a move then to put the during spring training to put that player on the 60-day IL, and then uh, and then add to the 40-man from there. Um, you know they they have one spot open on the 40-man roster. We'll see after the non-tender if they have another one. Um, that that is a possibility. And then once you pass the Rule Five draft, if they need to make more room. They can, but it sure doesn't seem seem like Connor is that guy. He would have to really struggle in spring training, or someone would really have to leapfrog over him for that. I mean, they've put him on the forty man with the intent to begin the process of him being available to them the moments needed. He's he's positioned to be, you know, on that shuttle if his performance is really good. He can shuttle between Memphis and uh, St. Louis and be like kind of the latest in that long line of 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 pitchers that do that do that speaking of space on the 40 men and you know the non-tender is coming up was there anyone that wasn't added that was a surprise to you or that maybe might have like people might have thought might have should have been added i mean i think we talked last year about luke and baker as a guy who might have been an option somewhere but that kind of changed was there anyone else that you can think of that might have surprised folks if they had been added or surprised that they didn't I think it's interesting, like, uh, you know, yeah, Luke and Baker's fascinating, especially last year at the time. If they had had a Rule 5 draft coming out of the lockout with a new CBA, and all of a sudden you had 15 teams searching for a DH to add. Um, I, I did wonder if, like, some team would just take a flyer on him, and if they returned him to the Cardinals, then they did. But if he went and hit for power, um, all of a sudden the DH now – would allow a lot of NL teams to go, okay, well, maybe this is a way to keep the guy. Um, you know, a whole year of planning, I'm not sure that's the case anymore and um, still has power. You know, I, I think you know Kramer Robertson is interesting, um, but again, you know, he, he, teams have already had a chance at him. Um, you know, the Mets had him there for a little bit, but then he Braves ended up back with for... the guard Braves, yeah. Yeah, for how for like a minute or something like that. Uh, yeah, it was <laughs> very quick. <laughs> but you're right. So you know, teams have had a, the chance at him. I think you know, um, Penny Agua mm-hmm. is very interesting. I know Daniel's written about him um, mm-hmm. because he does a lot of things well, especially for his age. Um, but he's many levels away from the majors. And while the Padres famously took some mm-hmm. Cardinal players lower. Um, in the minors who had high upside. Um, that was when the Padres were rebuilding and they did have roster spots to kind of accumulate and try to find 
um, lottery tickets and like Luis Perdomo did well for them, stuck around for a while with them. Uh, but you know, that that's not really happening now. I mean, you don't really see teams that are in a spot where they would reach that deep, um, to bet on the future of a player because a lot of teams hope that they already have that guy in place, right? Like that they have their Paniagua already in their organization. So, um, I think it's, it's real interesting, you know, what they, what they, what they'll do, um, you know, it didn't really stand out the number of, there wasn't like one obvious guy that went like, Oh, okay, well he's, this guy throws this amazing pitch that is going to get this much attention or this guy throws this incredible velocity. The team is going to take a flyer on, um, you know, I guess we'll kind of see, um, but it didn't, it didn't really strike me that they left, um, somebody unprotected that you go, Oh, well, that's some, that's a player who's going to be gone and not be coming back. You might, might, there might be some scouting report out there on one of the pitchers that they left unprotected where a team wants to take a chance or just wants to add some depth for spring training and see what happens. Um, but the the guy who you look at and go, oh, he's going to stick a full season and not be coming back, I, I'm not sure that any of the unprotected players rise to that level like, say, Connor did. Yeah, and I mean, because I, I know we even talked about this for a little bit, like Kyle Lehigh is a, kind of an interesting guy who's unprotected was right. in the fall league, had this crazy, you know, strikeouts per nine, but, you know, led a lot of guys on base. Um, Pedro Pajes was another guy, a catcher, who went to the fall league and is left unprotected as well. But, I mean, like you said, I mean, those aren't um, – I mean, I, I think there are some uh, obviously interesting things about him, but there aren't, like, glaring names on that list that you say, like, oh, man, like this – like you said, this guy's going to be somebody, like, in a, a part of a different organization come – December. Yeah. Lehigh is uh, an example of someone if they, you know, if they had a scout out there or they got the metrics and the spin rate and all that stuff and a team goes, well, there's something here and we'd like to get him into our camp and see what happens. Like say the Reds want to do that. Then that, that I can see that as a, as a play because you know, they, they, they would, they would say, all right, we're going to look past, we're going to look to that strikeout rate. We're going to look into the, like the ingredients of what his pitches bring and we want a chance to just work with him um, because we can for, you know, several thousand dollars and no harm. Um, you know, and if he goes back, he goes back. But, you know, I, I could see a team like that latching onto a pitcher like him um, and say, we want spring and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Daniel, do you want to be the first to touch on one of our fun banter questions? Do you want to pick? Oh, them OK. I want to want to mix them in here. Mix um... them in here a little bit. <laughs> Well, we I, I don't know. Well, bit, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a tough predicament just because I don't know which one to go with first. But I guess um, now that it's the off season, or I guess not really. There's off season news. I mean, obviously not the regular season. What does a day in the life of Derek Gould look like? Recording podcasts with uh, <laughs> with other. Uh, uh, that's a great question. Um, coffee starts with coffee. Um, sometimes starts with a dog barking um if somebody else they start early um or will eventually start early because there's a there's school in session and that uh that first bell for the for the for the young man um i have as a son is uh, is pretty early in the morning um but then it's just a lot of time on the phone and trying to uh, track down stories and trying to work ahead on things and trying to um you know find uh, either news or 
each day trying to find or develop some other story that could be told, um, you know, that uh, maybe people don't know or maybe catches people up on what's going on. There's always something happening in baseball that, you know, the Cardinals beat never sleeps. So it's, it's a lot of that. Um, I do try to carve out some time. I haven't really done that well here recently, um, but to try to, uh, I did get to go to the soccer game. Um, that's not, that's not every day, but I did get to go to STL city that first game. I got to go with friends. That was a great evening um, just to hang out and talk soccer. And um, so I try to carve time out for that. Um, there's, there's, there's more raking leaves than you think. Um, in <laughs> so the, like, just when you think you're done with it, you're not. So that, that's something I, uh, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's not exciting at all. And I'm afraid it's not a very fun answer. Um, but it's, it is a lot of, a lot of, there is a lot of catching up on things that kind of slide, um, during a season. So it does seem like the first few weeks of the off season, there's a lot of paperwork to do. Now, kind of touching back on the prospects, I think uh, one of the things that we all obviously witnessed this year with the Cardinals are all the rookies that debuted. I mean, um, a lot of names, I mean, popped up in the big leagues. A lot of them made uh, impacts throughout the season. Um, A lot of them were on your uh, dispatch dozen uh, prospect rankings list. I know we uh, talked about that at the beginning of the season on the best podcast in baseball. Um, but does the amount of rookies you've, I mean, obviously you've covered the Cardinals um, for nearly two decades. I mean, just does the amount of rookies that made an impact this year that all came up? I mean, is there anything, I guess, out of the ordinary for how this organization is typically ran to see, you know, so many first year players make their debuts and play? I mean, pretty, I mean, some play significant roles. On that team, yeah, to have such prominence, um, you know, I, probably I think you know in 2020 there was the rush and need for so many debuts, um, just because they were scrambling um, through a short season, but also scrambling out of their quarantine and had so many double headers that they had to kind of cycle through fresh arms, fresh players, um, and find a way to do it, and that led to a whole lot of machinations with the 40-man roster and a lot of major league debuts. Um, that was kind of a debut but under duress, if you will. And it definitely was. It was debuts under duress. And this year was more debut by choice. And I thought that, the, you know, this year stood out to me because they were, they were aggressive in talking themselves into promotions, not talking themselves out of promotions. I think we saw this with Nolan Gorman, saw this with my Matthew Libertor, certainly saw it with Brendan Donovan, um, and then eventually saw it with Alec Burleson, is this notion that, like, you know, this here was a player who was playing really well in AAA, and they they looked for reason to promote them not like waited for a need to promote them or waited for an opening to promote them. Um, they, they saw the chance like, okay, we can create playing time for this player. I think the DH is a factor in that. I think that's freed up how their approach. I think Marmol is a factor in that um, because of his use of the roster, um, how he, how he did matchups, how he was willing to change things around, um, how he could get a, a lot of at-bats for players who were not full-time. 
Um, so it wasn't like they were, they found like the sweet spot between full-time and part-time player or full-time and platoon player to still get a lot of it back. I think all that blended together to, to make, you know, this year a little different in how they approached um, young players in, or in their debuts is it, it did seem like in years past 2020, not, not included in this, you know, you, you would see a young guy have to overwhelm and then there have to be a need. Um, a clear avenue for a lot of pitchers to get promotions with the Cardinals, harder for position players because they had to leapfrog or um, like in Colt Wong's case, for example, um, Mo did not want, uh, that's John Mozeliak, did not want, um, did not want Wong to sit on the bench when he could be playing in AAA. They didn't want prospects to just sit around. Um, and so in, in some ways they were like, okay, we got to clear this playing time, make sure it's there. Um, and when it's there, then make the promotion. This year was just a slight tweak of that, where it was like, make the promotion for the guy who is performing well and, and make room for him. And I think that's a very encouraging and very interesting trend that we saw develop. And now we'll see how it continues. I mean, that's kind of seems like it's, being a little bit, I mean, I, I mean, obviously you've covered baseball um, for such a long time, but something that it seems like the sport's kind of embracing a little bit more, obviously the rules have kind of changed within the CBA where there's also kind of like a value in bringing up a rookie early just because um, like we saw that kind of with Julio Rodriguez, the Mariners who makes the opening day roster, wins rookie of the year, um, where there's a little bit more of an incentive of, or I guess not an incentive, but kind of de- uh, well, I guess it kind of changes the structure of that, right? Where, where there's like the way that obviously like service time could have been manipulated in the past, obviously kind of um, there, I mean, it, it just changes that the, the way that process has gone. Right. Yeah. I mean, the Cardinals, you know, I know like fans will roll their eyes maybe, but there's just not evidence. There's really one example in whatever, 20 years mm-hmm. of doing this where the Cardinals had some kind of service time weighing on their mind. Um, You know, they keep it, obviously there's a cost and they keep it in mind, but they have made choices that have cost them control. Michael Waka stands out, right? Like they could have made a choice with Michael Waka um, to move him back to the minors and get another year of control. Instead, he became a free agent when he became a free agent. Now, he had injury in there, and ultimately when he became a free agent, the Cardinals really didn't make a play for him. Um, but the, the fact still is that they could have manipulated his service time. Um, you know, you can go all the way back to Albert Pujols making an opening day roster. Um, you know, a few others like, uh, you know, Tommy Edmond came really close, and they couldn't have calculated when Tommy Edmond was going to be eligible for Super and he just missed it. That could have cost the Cardinals a significant amount of money there but they went with the player they have had an approach with this service time that that if a guy is ready move him up and if he's so good that he sticks around then it's beholden to the team to work out an extension or it'll work itself out because the performance won't be there and then all of a sudden you know it's not a it's not a service time risk and that you know, the, the Dylan Carlson one stands out, right? So they, they did make decisions with him in part um, during the shortened season and, and, and the seasons that follow 
you could see how the timing of his promotion was related to service time. Now he didn't stay up and all of a sudden now that, that decision, it didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't, it wasn't going to add up. Um, but if he had come up, had stayed, had gone there and had never been back to the minors since, then the Cardinals would have been, certainly they would have made that decision to get that extra year of control with him. Now you're right with the new CBA, all of that has changed because if a player's really good, it, um, you know, and this this comes into play with Jordan Walker, not that you asked about him, but like Jordan Walker is going to be in a spot next year where if the Cardinals put him on the opening day roster and he spends the season with them and they'll do that if he earned it, then they get the benefit of a draft pick because he's going to be one of the top prospects. He's going to be highly rated um, and he'll have spent the whole year starting with the opening day roster. Brendan Donovan this year, um, he, he didn't get the Cardinals that draft pick because he wasn't around on opening day, wasn't in the, the top 100, all that stuff. Um, and he just finished outside of getting a full season of, uh, of service time. However, it, you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, you can see the possibility that because of when he came up and when they made that choice and the fact that he never went back down, that that's going to cost the Cardinals a little extra down the road because he'll be super two. If, Again, you can't you can't really triangulate that because it's based on the use and service time of other players, um, and so another team can make a choice, and all of a sudden, you know, your your plan falls apart um, based on a, a random choice that you can't predict. But Bre- Brendan had enough playing time this year, had enough time in the in the majors that you think he's going to be right in that area where he'll uh, he'll he'll get super two at a time when say Tommy Edmond did not. Um, Tommy Edmond will be compensated for actually performances rendered out of the pool because they created this like bonus pool um, where players who are highly ranked and contributed a lot but have not yet reached arbitration will get a bonus and and Tommy will get part of that. Um, interesting. I mean, uh, thanks for bringing up Walker because I think that kind of uh, brings up another question that we kind of thought about um, that we kind of wanted to get your perspective on. Um, and I know you've talked about this on the best podcast in baseball of um, the Cardinals in the last, I mean, few, I mean, last few years really haven't had this homegrown um, middle of the order bat. I know you've mentioned like Matt Carpenter is kind of one of the last few guys that has kind of fit that mold. Yeah. And before that kind of have to go back to Albert Pujols. Um, obviously that's kind of a big label to put on a guy like Jordan Walker. I mean, he's only 20 years old. Um, obviously excelled at the double-A level, especially for his age, uh, excelled in, in the Arizona Fall League. I know we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. But, I mean, not just when it comes to Jordan Walker and his development, but when you see um, how the Cardinals' maybe farm system has changed over the years, I mean, is, is there something that kind of uh, – like, do, do you – is there, like, any sense of, like, kind of what – like, why that has uh, – why that trend has kind of happened where you – don't mean where you haven't seen like this really uh, big name homegrown middle order bat. I mean, obviously things are kind of rare to find, um, but I mean, is there anything in kind of your reporting or the trends that you've seen um, since covering the team that that's, you know, been like that? Yeah. I mean, I think the big one stands out is they don't draft high. Um, Mm -hmm. They don't draft in the top 10. So they're not getting an access to a Kyle Schwarber. So mm-hmm. they have to go, all right, well, who's the next in line for Kyle Schwarber? Who, who could be the potential Kyle Schwarber? Um, 
and you know, and they so they draft like a Nolan Gorman, right? The best power prep power prospect who was available at that spot in the draft. Um, you know, they they've taken some flyers on guys. You know, you think back to the Delvin Perez draft pick, right? They they felt he had sl- he he slid to a point um, and was a was a rare get at that late in the first round. Um, now he's a minor league free agent, having gone through the Cardinal system, topped out at AAA, was a utility player. Um, has a lot of a lot of ability defensively. Has a lot of like fast twitch athleticism, um, but the offense just wasn't there. And you see that a lot, you know, um, where the Cardinals developing young hitters they seem to plateau um, or did for a while, and they 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 looked into a lot of different reasons why. You know, part of it again is where they're drafting, but part of it is okay. What programs were in place to help? identify and move up and amplify the talent that the scouts were seeing. Um, and how did they get more offense from players? I mean, this goes back to, um, I mean, gosh, you could make a long list of players who were producing or had elements of strong offensive production in the lower minors. And then it just didn't carry to the upper levels. Um, you know, he, he, there's just, there's a real long list of it and it forced them to kind of think, okay, what are they doing? What, and what could they do better? This was in part, the hiring of Jeff Albert was to oversee and really create um, a through line through the entire organization for how to develop hitters so that they were all speaking the same language so that hitters could move from lay, level to level and build on what they were doing not be introduced to something new. They were all speaking the same language. They were all using, you know, the same kind of um, just infrastructure, tech, language, um, thought process. Um, And it wasn't like they were trying to introduce, you know, the advanced levels of hitting at class A. It was very much set up almost like you would go through college for a master's degree, right? You're not taking your master's level course at, at, freshman year um well maybe daniel was but i i was not and um you know the 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 notion is that like you have introductory stuff and then it advances along with you as you advance and that that pulls out the better hitter they also invested in a lot of tech um you know so that everybody was assigned a blast device so that the hitters were more familiar too with the tech that was there to help them um understand their personal swing and that was the next leap was making this personal. Um, I think back to like a conversation I had with Mason Wynn um, in spring training where he he went through one of the hitting camps that the Cardinals did, and they'll do them again this winter, where they're down in Jupiter um, at the hitting facility that they have there. And it, it was like, okay, here's the hitter you are. And he he told me that like when he came out of the draft and was a young player, he was like, man, I'm I'm the Jordan Walker of my group. I'm I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to hit for power. I'm going to do damage. I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm the Jordan Walker of any lineup in it. I'm in. And then he got time and saw Jordan Walker and goes, well, I'm not that hitter. <laughs> and the Cardinals helped him find the hitter that he is. And I think, you know, him, some other guys, Holgate, Burleson, um, Burleson is a big example. Um, Walker, of course, um, you know, I think there's this group of young hitters who have gone into this program that the Cardinals have set up 
and they've really bet now on their ability to not just say, all right, well, we got talent and that talent will grow um, to go, okay, there's talent here. Now, how do we manifest greater talent as they move up so that, you know, they can finally have like that homegrown difference making hitter? It still could be that Nolan Gorman is that guy. It still mm-hmm. could be that Dylan Carlson is that guy. Um, you know, Dylan Carlson still could be that number two hitter for this team that, that you know, that for a contending team. Nolan Gorman, and we can't lose sight of the fact that he hit – he had a lot of home runs last year at two different levels and that's not to be dismissed. And, you know, I mean, he hit for power, um, but he also finished the year in, you know, in triple a having gone back to triple a. So um, they still could be, but you're, those are the kind of things that I think I, I, to answer your question in a long roundabout way, those are the things that I think stand one is where they're drafting and two, just over the past for a long time, you know, they they have not taken the hitters that they thought were going to be those impact guys and got them to the highest level as impact guys. And that really needed to be addressed um, as a system-wide question as to what were they doing. Was it in the identification process? Was it in the scouting process? Or was it in the development process? And what were they missing um, that would allow, you know, some of these players to – to thrive there there are players that are thrived elsewhere um you know you think about it i mean randy rosarena comes to mind um you know lane thomas never really could connect in the the majors why is that um you know they got tyler o'neill to that level that they really thought he should be at um you know but you know he's got to stay on the field this next year i mean so they've they've got contributors up but they haven't got that impact blast bat and that's that's a real, real hole in their game that they, they've tried to cover. The last time the Cardinals picked in the top 10 mm-hmm. was 1998 to solidify. Yeah, J.D. Drew. J.D. Drew. Yeah. And then before that was Braden Looper two years earlier at the number three pick. But right. just to yeah, solidify your point State. on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to hit, yeah, hit I mean, on you the, think about that. Like, yeah. I mean, think about what you were doing. I mean, all right. What were you doing in 98? Uh, I was three years old. All right. So, <laughs> and now you're hosting a podcast yeah. on a minor league system that has not had a draft pick in the top 10 since you were three years old. Yeah. I mean, like, just to put that in perspective, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's remarkable. I no, find no. what you, oh, sorry. You didn't oh, go, no, go. Go. I was going to okay. mean, no, go for it. Go for it. I find what you were saying there interesting as like, this, you, you have all these guys coming up who never quite hit the plateau that you they, they they plateau they don't go beyond that that's an expensive mistake almost to have in your organization it costs a lot more to go out and sign these 300 million dollar deals for free agents than it is to develop a handful of draft picks every year I'd, I would imagine is that a I mean that there's got to be some kind of financial motivation for supplementing your big stars that this team, has what since the 1900s have had a Hall of Famer on this team? It's got to be easier to or less expensive to supplement that way than it is to with like we're seeing now in free agency. Well, and yet though they've found another way to do it in the sense that they know they can develop pitchers. 
um, you know, the, the unanimous Cy Young Award winner in the NL was identified and developed. And some of the things that he talks about, um, you know, with the Miami Mar- Marlins, of course, I'm talking about Sandy Alcantara. Um, you know, some of the things he describes about what he thinks a starter is began with the Cardinals. Now, the Marlins gave him the opportunity to become that. Um, would he have had that same opportunity with the Cardinals? Would would they have installed him so quickly? Probably not. Um, you know, the Marlins were in a different spot, and obviously the Cardinals were too. And what did they trade Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallen to get? A middle-order hitter. Yeah. What did they trade Luke Weaver and Carson Kelly and to get? Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, what did they trade Austin Gomber to get? Nolan Arenado. I mean, they they have traded for two of the NL MVP finalists, the guy who won the NL MVP in Paul Goldschmidt, the guy who finished third in the NL MVP in Nolan Arenado. They have turned what they know they do well um, and what their reputation in the industry is for doing well into, um, you know, into the middle orders that they see. In fact, like if you think about it, and Daniel could probably you know add to this is in the Arenado trade they traded Montero right, and so mm-hmm. here's like here's a hitter that I'm like I'm trying to describe is you know Montero strong upside lots of lots to like about what he does offensively lots to like about what he did at the lower levels, um, but with the Cardinals was he just bound to plateau now either because there wasn't playing time for him, he wasn't a priority, or when he got to the upper levels, he would just do what we'd seen so many other guys do, not enhance, not 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 blossom as a hitter, not continue the, the trajectory. It would just flatten out. Um, you know, I'm eager to see what happens because if he go Malcolm Nunez is another example. He he was a guy traded. This is a small sample size, I get it. But early on, really young, won the Triple Crown in the Dominican Summer League, had a lot to like about what he does offensively. Um, there's going to be you could we could draw comps, you know, for like okay, what he was doing mm-hmm. at a young age, and what type of swing he has. Well, now he's elsewhere, so you know, because he, I mean, he had not. Now he was super young, so he had kind of more time to like redo a level or redo a level twice. Um, but also, like, was he? seeing the advancement or were you were you starting to see him have that cardinal plateau I, you know I, I think it's real fascinating to watch what those two guys do because in the early stages of their career with the cardinals they had ingredients of being strong hitters i, I want to stop short of saying middle of the order hitters but uh, of being upside hitters now do they meet that upside with another team will be very interesting to watch but to your original point is they have found that sweet spot where the Cardinals have a reputation for finding good picks later in the draft. That's gotten harder as other teams have gotten better at it. They have a reputation for developing and identifying pitchers. You don't have to look. I mean, look, at one point in time, the Seattle Mariners had a third of their pitching staff was Cardinal developed pitchers. That's nuts. Um, but you look around the majors and there's a lot there. There are a strong group of pitchers out there that the Cardinals drafted and another group and some of that group, the Cardinals developed. I think Gallen deserves a lot of credit for the pitcher he's become, but you trace it back and he is straight out of central casting for what the Cardinals draft. They get in and they work through. 
um, and they prepare. College pitcher from a top program who does these things. Cardinals take them. Cardinals get a major leaguer from them. They get some major league contribution. And that trend, which is more than 10 years deep now, has helped them say, all right, that's where the strength is. That's where their depth is. They can deal from that to then get the middle orders, they, middle order hitters. They have not been able to develop. That's, I mean, and to add, I mean, to add to that point, I mean, we've even seen just this last minor league season, a couple of the guys who um, were college pitchers from, you know, good programs from good conferences like Gordon Graceffo and Mike McGreevy have success down in the minors. Obviously, Graceffo's kind of the guy who's knocking on the door. Uh, steps to the majors coming into next season. I mean, um, and I mean, we're kind of seeing that his. I mean, obviously, his abilities kind of flourish. His stuff just improve um, noticeably over the last season. Um, but I mean, when you look at, I, I guess, to kind of shift gears a little bit, and like you said, I mean, obviously, the Cardinals with their success with the majors drafting uh, lower in the draft, obviously. Uh, changes the way they or the landscape of you know what um, what's available to them um, when their pick is up. Um, but when you look at what they've done, maybe like an international free agency over the last, I mean, I, I this last signing period where um, Jonathan Mejia um, gets you know the largest signing bonus for an international free agent by the Cardinals. Um, they kind of break ground with signing Juan Bencho, um, mm-hmm. first amateur play, player uh, signed by the Cardinals from Asia. I mean, is is that a way where they're kind of like supplementing? obviously being lower in the draft by being more maybe aggressive or uh, pursuing, you know, uh, I guess different avenues in the international free agency pool. Yeah. I think that, I think you hit on it. I, you know, when a team like the Cardinals, they don't draft as high. Um, they have to be where be use their strength to acquire more. Um, you know, especially in the international market, they, they have not been like a high bidder on some of the top talents you think about like uh, what uh, Dominguez and famously Luis Robert um, who went to the White Sox, you know, the the players of that high echelon. And I mean, they made a bid for Robert, um, but you know, it was not as high as the White Sox. Um, You know, they just haven't been in that realm. So they do go for quantity at times in hopes that it provides Qual- some quality and you know you're playing the numbers at that point and I, I think I think it's a fine way to go especially when you think about what like what the Cardinals strengths are they they, they can spend money um, you know they have had pretty good sized bonus purses here when it comes to international spending um, they have strengthened their scouting their presence all of it they have widened their 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 footprint so to speak um, in a lot of areas they, they have covered more ground they have signed more players um, from 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 the Latin American market, which is really good. They they have um, done better exploring Cuba. Uh, they they obviously went out and got uh, Cho as the first amateur that they'd signed from Asia. Um, so you know they they are they're extending the map from which they draw uh, talent, and they can pull a lot of talent in hopes of playing the probability that one works out the one player shows but it still is uh it still is a question of when how and can it be soon that they develop this hitter beyond just the minor just beyond just the moment of acquisition beyond just the lower minors and and 
get like a production like they got from Burleson and then get that and let it let it loose and let it impact the majors. So, I mean, just going back to, um, I guess, this past minor league season, I mean, obviously we talked a lot about uh, individual player development and kind of what guys have done. But when you see what the individual teams did as a whole, I mean, obviously mm. 2021, there was, um, I mean, the rec- record-wise, I mean, it was one of, uh, I guess, the it just wasn't good. I mean, obviously. It was um, one of the worst <laughs> of organizational winning percentage in 60 years. Um, Not one of the worst by the Cardinals. One of the worst <laughs> in baseball. Yes, they they did not prioritize winning and had a lot, a lot of pitching problems. I mean, when you see that, I mean, and obviously, I think Peoria still was about twenty games under five hundred this year. Um, mm-hmm. Springfield had some significant improvements. Same thing with Memphis um, and then Palm Beach, the only Cardinals uh, affiliate to make a playoff. Um, is there anything that the organization values in just what from what you've seen in your time covering the team and team success down in the minors? Yeah. So this used to be a hallmark of it. Um, and it was something that Gary LaRock, the farm director, talked a lot about. And the farm directors before him, Bruce Mano, was there before him, um, that they would talk about this. Um, now, how the Cardinals utilize their minor league system has changed quite a bit in the last 20 years. But um, – Speaking specifically about Gary LaRock, you know, one of the one of the stories that I do like um, and I probably tell it often, but, you know, and Gary tells it often is he would go around and visit affiliates and he would talk to them in August, you know, and say, how's everybody feeling? Um, how you doing? You know, and uh, and he would wait for the inevitable, you know, seasons coming to a close long season. You know, I feel some fatigue. Um, and then he would come over the top with his question that he was waiting to ask was like, well, how are you going to play for another month? And, you know, he, they would go, what are you talking about another month, man? The season's over with in September. What, what are you, what are you saying? We got, we got to play another month. And the point that he would then make is Cardinals play in October. How are you going to be prepared to play in October? And so he he felt that like by reinforcing that, like by giving them the sense that like, look, you know, you got to be prepared for seven months because that's what this organization expects when you're at the top level. Seven months. How are you going to do that? Think in those terms. He said another conduit of that is have them play to win. Um, They would at times move guys around so that they would be some priority prospects, let's call them they would move them to playoff teams or teams that were playoff bound to get that sense of what the the focus is of being in the postseason, of what a postseason game is like, about what a pennant chase or what a division chase is like. And so if they had the opportunity, and you would see this like every so often, you'd be like, oh, well, that guy had a really good AAA season. Why is he back in AA? Well, it's because Springfield – was trying to win the Texas League championship, and here was a chance for that guy to experience a playoff round, a playoff push. Um, that the the pressure that is just a little different. Uh, you know, obviously they they famously did that with Albert Pujols as they moved him up from Class A all the way to Triple A to uh, to be a part of a playoff experience. He had a specific role. Um, Galen Pitts, who was the manager of Memphis at the time, he he had a role in mind for Albert. And then of course, in classic Pujolsian fashion, he made it far more than, than just that role. 
um, and hit the home run that won the championship for them. But that experience they wanted him to have because it's just a little different. And so you're right. Um, having them win and getting a sense of winning, it, 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 it has been important to this organization and getting back to that. I'm, 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 I think this is a question for all of us to ask is like, when does that become the, a goal again? Um, because clearly, and they did this on purpose. I mean, they didn't lose on purpose, but they kind of said, all right, the, the, the return to play, the return to action, the return to the minors in 2021 is not going to be about team success. It's going to be about, um, regaining some lost ground development wise, and it's going to be about health. And, you know, they, they saw that as, as a second lost year, but one where they had games to play so that individuals could improve individuals could rise individuals could stay healthy. And they were very, um, careful with how much was asked of pitchers. And I don't think you can entirely dismiss that approach because there is real evidence that what they did with individuals in 2021 helped them get to the majors and contribute in 2022. Um, it just wasn't team-wide. It, it was clearly individuals. Um, you know, like what they did with Mason Wynn in 2021 helped – put him in a position where he's a shortstop prospect who has a hit tool that is going to rise and he is going to, and he's moving fast. You think about like where he'll be at his age in such a prominent position at triple a already in 2023. That's, that's really remarkable. I mean, he, he was drafted four years, four years after Delvin Perez and he's going to, catch Delvin Perez so well, much he, so that Delvin Perez is a minor league free agent like that that is a pretty swift rise and speaks to like on a on an anecdotal and a singular basis what the Cardinals did I think Andre Pallante is an example of what an individual attention in 2021 what that helped bring out in 2022 and the, the cost was definitely, definitely team success was not there. And do they need to get back to that? I mean, that's a good point to bring up with the win because, I mean, he literally moved Delvin Perez out of shortstop at the AA level when yeah. uh, when Mason Wynn got brought up in, at the end of May. Then Delvin Perez was kind of, I guess, like a nomad, kind of searching for a new position. Um, then, like it was told to me, just kind of testing out seeing, you know, what role he could fit. I mean, obviously because of his tools, I mean, obviously his athleticism was still something that, that you know, there was still some, some you know, promise on. But um, obviously, you know, he elected to become a free agent after uh, things didn't work out. Um, but, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of interesting to see. I mean, obviously they had that, la that lost minor league season in 2020 and heading into 2023, um, one of the starting outfielders could have, could be at the major league level. One of them could be the first pick in that their their first round pick in that draft, and right behind him could be another guy who was second round pick in that draft. Obviously, also, you know, like you said, I mean, having a prominent role at the AAA level, and then obviously you never know kind of what can happen there. I mean, with Mason Wynn ceiling. So, Derek, before we get on to the last 
what I call a really big question because I think it will have some large large scale topics of conversations that affect not only the major league club but the minor league franchise or uh, clubs as well. Uh, I do want to hit off on some of these fun questions as well. Uh, we've kind of skipped on them because this conversation has been excellent. So to speak. like, you know, we've had a really good time talking baseball, which I mean, we all like doing, so it's easy. Um, so some rapid fire ones here. Uh, what are you reading right now? And what's the base, best baseball book you've read? I I am reading. Uh, actually, I have All the Pretty Horses by Cormac McCarthy that I have at my desk here um, that I read that I've been reading. Um, I picked up uh, a couple books in Vegas that I wanted to read. Um, and then I have a stack of comic books here to catch up on. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, I had some Spider-Man to catch up on. Um, and then I, uh, year Is this the one, new runs or the or catching up on old stuff? Um, I, these right here are new ones. Um, but, uh, I do have some old ones that I picked up, uh, over the, over the past year as well, um, to go through. Uh, then I have, um, what was the other book that I, though, that's I mean that that's that's pretty good. Those I have a I have a stack of books that I'm going to attack. I got George Saunders. Uh, that's the other one I have here. George Saunders' new collection of short stories. Now another question: Do you have any any plans? Oh my for best November? wait base best baseball best book baseball book yeah um, fiction or nonfiction or both. I can do one nonfiction and one fiction. If you have if you have them easy, then I want both. Yeah. Okay. So um, best baseball book nonfiction. Um, I'm gonna. There, there are a lot of great ones out there, mm-hmm. and I, I bring this book up not to dismiss any of the other ones. Glory of Their Times is great. Um, there's a lot of good ones out there. Uh, Lords of the Realm is fantastic to understand the business of baseball. All good. My favorite, one of my favorites, or one that I've returned to and one that has really shaped how I think about being a beat writer and covering baseball is Buster Olney's The Last Night of the Yankee Dynasty. Um, just the details and the richness of writing in that book. Um, and how it brings to life um, not just one game and not just the end of something, but also the personalities and like the day-to-day details that you can get by being around a team um, to tell a story. That that, that book, uh, I read it, and I'm like, this is such ace reporting, and this is the kind of stories and this kind of depth that a beat writer should always be able to bring. Um, so that's, that's one of my, that's one of my all time favorite books. Um, fiction, uh, the Iowa baseball confederacy by WP Kinsella. I just, I, I love that book. It's just the, the baseball game that never ends. Kind of wanted to tee up this question for you, but uh, do you have any plans on November 29th? Oh, I was going to close on this, but yes. Do you have any plans? Oh, <laughs> November 29th. Uh, is that's a soccer game? Is that the, the big soccer no, game? No, the pop-up event, the, Oh yeah, no November. (laughs) (laughs) We were going to ask you if you had had any events planned uh, where we thought you guys were going to try to. Yeah, okay. So we are doing a pop up event at Modern Brewery in St. Louis. Uh, It's uh, uh, yeah, we're doing it for the St. Louis Baseball Writers Chapter uh, to uh, to to raise money for the scholarships that we fund and the awards that we fund for young journalists. We'll have a, a pop up event trying something new. A bit of a preview of the winter meetings. Um, again, it'll be at Modern Brewery. Uh, tickets are fifty bucks. Um, you can find information about it um, 
well, at any of our Twitter feeds, or uh, if you search uh, pop up hot stove on Eventbrite, it'll pop up. No pun intended. No pun intended. Definitely pun intended. Um, and it's 50 bucks and it gets you pizza. It gets you a single beer um, at Modern Brewery, one of the great, really local breweries. It's just fantastic. There's a little bit of Cardinal of Cardinals minor league breaking news. Uh, they've just tweeted they've signed five minor yeah. league free agents. A reunion which, with Oscar Mercado. Yes. Um, was part of the uh, Connor Capel trade, right? Yes. Yes, he was. So I think Daniel and I will highlight that in our next episode. We'll probably get into who those guys are more specifically. Derek, one last question, baseball question for you. I think it's something that a lot of fans would want to know or get your sense of. And it's what do you think the willingness is for this organization to hold on to, I, I guess, top prospects is a misnomer because top prospects would be like Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, but I guess like near top prospects. And if there's anyone who may be untouchable that you, that might surprise us. So, you know, it's all in, it's a good question. So trades are all in what the return is or what the ask is, right? So you have these two columns, what's the return and what's the ask? And if the return is great player A, then the ask can be all that higher. I mean, if you're if the Angels say, hey, we're going to cover all of Mike Trout's salary and trade him to you straight up for Jordan Walker, do the Cardinals say no? Or do they go, well, that, that's actually kind of well. That, that all of a sudden untouchable isn't so untouchable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the extreme example. And I, I don't know what the Cardinals would say in that regard, but you know, you can think in terms of like if the return is great, like you know, the Braves call up and say, We want to trade Spencer Strider straight up for Mason Wynn because we're not going to be able to sign Dansby Swanson. Like, what, what do the Cardinals say? What would you guys say? Is that is that a rhetorical question or are you, no, are no. you actually that, that's, I mean, I'm not saying that that's that's ever going to come up between these two teams, but I want to yeah. put that in perspective. I mean, like, look, they call and say, I call you Carter Chapley, GM of the Cardinals. Um, Alex Anthopoulos has given the bad decision to turn over the, the, the Atlanta club to me for a day. And uh, and I say, hey, man, Spencer Strider for Mason Wynn straight up who you got. Uh, I, I'd take Spencer Strider. Well, so all of a sudden Mason yeah. Wynn isn't untouchable, right? No, I, yeah, I, I hear you. So, you know, the Cardinals do not want to part with prominent guys. They don't, unless they get some whopper of a return. Um, but they will go to great lengths to not part with um, prominent players. We saw that at the trade deadline in the Juan Soto stuff. It was the combination of the players that they just did not want to part with. Um, but we have seen them willing to part with, you know, once prominent or currently prominent player. I mean, they did trade their gold glove center fielder because they had a chance to go get a pitcher who they thought would be more beneficial, more productive to them in the same time frame. Bit of a challenge trade, um, but uh, but one that, you know, they, they felt they needed to get. And so somebody who they would not trade a few years earlier for Zach Wheeler, they are now trading for Jordan Montgomery. So, you know, I think, I think that, that that's a good frame of reference to go for it, but the Cardinals will go out of their way to, to answer your question, to avoid trading the impact prospects that they think can help them. 
Um, and then they often are open to trading, um, you know, prospects who, you know, have been surpassed by their, their, their top prospects or their depth guys, especially where they have um, significant amount of talent to pull from. I, I don't want to belabor the point, but I do want to ask a clarifying question there as to what, what, what would you define as help them? Is that an immediate? Is that a thinking for win now? No, it's, or is that it's a long-term great question. Move? It's a great question. It's all those things. It's like, you know, like how will, um, you know, how do they think Trey Fletcher can help them? Right. It's not in 2023. Right. Their, their hope is, and what we'll see, I mean, or, or one bin Cho, how do they think he can help them? You know, they're, they're willing to let that develop over time. And it's not 2023. It's not 2024. Um, so, you know, but how do they think Jordan Walker can help them? It's a different answer. You know, that yeah. could be 2023. So they, they can put a value on that and say, well, this guy is part of our immediate plan. This guy has a high value for our future plan. And this guy is something that we want to give time yet to define where he fits in either of those two things. Um, it's, it's, I, one thing with with baseball and running a whole organization um, with so many players is it's just different than other sports because it almost works on multiple timelines, right? It's it's it, it, it's the it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe of sports where it's just on a multiple different timelines and, and players are existing a whole bunch of different ones. Um and, and you, it can be tricky to keep up with it because you wonder, okay, is this the guy, The pro, this is their top prospect. He's the number one prospect. Okay, but if I were to re-rank them by, like, the prospect who is most likely to arrive, then all of a sudden it's a completely different list, right? Like, the top prospect on the team may not be the guy who's going to arrive tomorrow. The top prospect might be the guy who's through three years away, um, but then when he arrives is a fixture. Um, you know, so... Whereas the number three prospect might be the one who's arriving tomorrow and all of a sudden is an everyday player. Well, what makes him number three? Well, it's the potential, the highest. But, um, you know, so I, I get that it can be confusing in that regard, but you, you do have to operate on multiple different timelines to kind of assess, to your point, the, the value of where a prospect fits in their plan and then how protective of that prospect they're going to be. I also find it really helpful, and if if you don't read Derek's Monday chats every week, it, I I think you should. That like it's a thing, a point you brought up. I don't know if it was this week or last week, but like just because MLB.com or Baseball America list you know one through a hundred or prospect number eight versus prospect number sixteen, there are no prospects that are like it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? Right. Like, prospects are based on you know if I if I again you resume the role of Alex Anthopoulos, he might view prospect number 10 more than baseball America or MLB.com says prospect number four is worth. It's right, just a total, Yeah. And like the Cardinals number six prospect might not be as good as the Padres number six prospect. Mm -hmm. The Padres right. number six prospect might be number two in the Cardinals organization. Whereas the Cardinals number six prospect might be number 18 in Padres, you know, so it's it's not an apples to apples comparison when you talk about the top three or to, I'm sorry, the top 30. Also, when it comes to trades, know that teams want specific players 
from that team. And they'll make that ask based on how they view the prospects from that team. And that's why you'll see some trades where you'll be like, well, goodness, man, the Car- the Cardinals could have matched that trade. Okay, maybe. But the Padres didn't want those players from the Cardinals. They didn't want them to match that trade. They wanted specific guys from the Cardinals that they were not willing to trade. And so you, you can look in trades and like, oh, man, well, the Cardinals could have offered prospects ranked higher than two of those guys. True. But they may not. But the Padres may have never gotten there, and the it's not like the Cardinals were going to counter. Um, they wanted specific guys from the Cardinals. They were the It's not it, trades are more fluid and, and more complicated than just like, hey, we're getting these three prospects ranked this, this, and this. If you can offer us prospects that are ranked this, this, and this, we'll make the deal with you. It's 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 more individualized than that. So you're saying that my uh, online trade simulator isn't accurate? Well, so like it's <laughs> no, a I'm great thing. Like, <laughs> like one like fantastic and fun exercise for all of us to do is to go to that online trade simulator and type in trades that actually happened mm-hmm. and yeah. how, you know, t- go in like after the trade deadline and type in Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader. Go in and type, Jose Quintana and Chris Stratton, Chris Stratton for, for Oviedo and Malcolm Nunez and see what happens. It does it does it nail it? Because you know the what trade did happen is that one. That mm. one did happen. <laughs> and so so if if it lines up then cool then the simulator is like all right or if it's even close, right? But you know sometimes you know the simulator is 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 purposefully and it's great. It's a lot of fun. But know that it is it is deleting motivation from the process. Hmm. What is the team's motivation? Or what is their opening? What is their need? Like, are they prioritizing pitching? And will they take less to get a higher-end pitcher? Who maybe the simulation doesn't say, well, that's going to balance out. But it does to that team because their motivation is to get a pitcher. Right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no like uh, MLB The Show interest bar that you can just kind of level to be like, this is a balanced trade. It's like sometimes you win, sometimes you lose a trade because you have to. That's kind of the to get the guy you want, right? Sometimes it doesn't right. it doesn't play out on paper because you really believe in this guy, Daniel. Or you get a guy who needs three option years, right? And you don't want to trade yeah. for the better prospect who has one. You need a guy who can impact your team for a couple of years rather than spending right. a lot of money on him because you can't afford him right now. I wonder if there's a potential catcher out there who that might be happening to uh, in the news ever. Um, Daniel, do you have anything to add here before we uh, uh, we uh, say goodbye for another week and thank Derek for his time, energy, and effort? Well, I just, uh, I mean, thanks, Derek, for joining us. I mean, uh, it really means a lot to uh, see. Uh, I, I, I guess it's kind of maybe like a, a – minor league cameo for you maybe like a little a little rehab appearance rehab assignment um, yeah. I'd say. <laughs> that's well put uh, but i mean derek do you have anything uh do you want to add anything to look forward to whether they're in-person events or anything like that well we have the in-person event the pop-up um then we'll we'll have all the st louis cardinals coverage from the winter meetings there when uh, at stltoday.com and in the pages of the post dispatch 
Um, ben Fredrickson will be out there in San Diego. We're going to try to get a cameo from Daniel Guerrero there. Sunny, um, sunny San Diego. Sunny San Diego. <laughs> yeah, you can show us your old haunts, right? You you can play tour guide. I I probably I told Bedford I would. Um, yeah, you're rocking the San Diego it's a, hat it's a, today. It's a, it's, a little, it's a little bit off the beaten path, but yes, I am. We got the Aztec hat on. San Diego Tony, Aztecs clarified, Tony yeah. The, the Tony Gwynn Friday night special. Um, I, it's funny, they're 19, they opened the season. Uh, but anyways, um, but yeah, we'll uh, head off the beaten path and uh, show you around uh, the college area or uh, <laughs> some of the San Diego spots. Okay, can't wait. What what Where, where are you going to take us? What's oh, the I, guess that, I guess that it depends. Gonna... Um, so my, my go-to place was, uh, is it place pizza called... port? Are you going to take us to pizza port? No, no. We had this other pizza place uh, called Bronx pizza in Hillcrest. That was pretty good. Oh, um, as opposed to Brooklyn pizza, which was downtown. Um, my, my, my place was, uh, this place called Sayulitas. There are a few different locations, but it's like Mexican Filipino fusion. So it's like burritos, but like with Filipino meats sometimes, nice. um, no, oh, it was amazing. I kind of I, I missed that place, but but I mean, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to uh, I guess uh, go on a San Diego tour if there's time. Oh yeah, there won't be, but we can we can dream <laughs> big. We can we'll, we'll yeah we'll plan it for it to never happen. <laughs> Sounds familiar. I'll just sit, I'll just sit back here in St. Louis in the snow while you guys enjoy sunny San Diego. Thank you. Why, why are you bragging? Oh, no, God, no. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Derek, again yeah, you bet. for your you time. Bet. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the conversation. Thanks for inviting me on. You guys are you doing can. a good thing here. Really appreciate the the additions you guys have brought to uh, to expanding and forcing us to, uh, to to new horizons with the coverage. So thank you all very much for for the first season. Um, now uh, now the challenge is uh, is the same as it is for everything. Right? Got to get better for next season. First off season too. I mean, we'll. See how, how things play out. Yeah, yes. we'll see. You can listen to this podcast on the STL to STL Pinch Hits app or stlpinchhits.com. There is no video version of this podcast, so I apologize. We'll be back at that in early March. You can find Derek on the best podcast in baseball and on STL Today and STL Pinch Hits. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Well, I was going to say and on Twitter, but I don't know if that will exist by the time this podcast comes out. A special thanks to Carter and Daniel for inviting me on for the conversation about the 40-man roster, the Cardinals minor league system, developing players, developing hitters, just all all of it. I, we could probably have had a multi-part series. So it's a good thing that they do a weekly episode, where you and you can find it there at stlpinchhits.com. That's stlpinchhits.com. Of course, you can find all of Daniel's coverage of the minor leagues there as well. Of course, you can find all of the Constant Cardinals coverage from the Post-Dispatch and the Post-Dispatch baseball writers and columnists at stltoday.com. And in the pages of the Post-Dispatch, you can find the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Clouds by Design wherever you get your podcasts. That includes iTunes, where you can rate and review the podcast, give it a four-star, give it a five-star, give it a comment, but give it a subscription. Subscriptions make sponsorships possible, and sponsorships make this weekly podcast possible even as we dive into the off season in the coming weeks there'll be coverage of the winter meetings there also will be a pop-up hot stove on november 29th tuesday november 29th at modern brewery 
There are tickets available through the St. Louis Baseball Riders Association chapter to that limited seating event. Look for it, November 29th. Again, a thanks to my colleagues Carter and Daniel at the Best Podcast in the Minors for the invitation to join them and also the opportunity to share with you all what they're doing at their podcast and what the coverage is like there at STL Pinch Hits. For the best podcast in baseball, I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Stay healthy, stay informed, stay tuned. Talk to you soon.